Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. And we want to look at this chapter for the next two, three weeks, three weeks, and just talk about these, this chapter about lost things, lost things, things that get lost. And there's, I'm just going to go through these verses, and I want to look at them together with you. Look at, look at Luke chapter 15, verse 1, and let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for a vision that goes beyond Shenandoah, that goes beyond Texas. It's a vision for the uttermost, Lord. And we ask, uh, we ask you that you would send us into all the world. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we are a part of an affiliation of churches that has churches all over the world that tell these kind of stories about Jesus being enough, Jesus being worthy. Father, we pray you would bless this message and really speak to us in Jesus' precious name. We thank you for churches all over Houston today, pastors stepping up to the pulpits that are preaching. Well, we pray for pastors, God. We pray for pastors in this in this city, in this state, in this country. You would encourage them, order their steps, bless their families, their marriages, their kids. We ask you that we could be friends to them and encouragers to be servants of God. We just pray for, from this church here, Lord, that you would send us out into churches that would go into this whole area that would propagate Christ, that would worship Christ, because we've been made to be worshipers. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. This verse 1. Look at that. Tax collectors and sinners. Who are these people? When we hear of tax collectors, we think of the IRS maybe. Tax collectors in Israel at that time were individuals that were really especially hated because they represented the Roman system. Now, the Roman government at the time was dominating Israel. Israel was under the occupation and the dominance of the Roman system. Jesus was from Nazareth. Nazareth was a city where there was a lot of Roman sympathizers, a lot of Benedict Arnolds, a lot of people that could be, concer- could be considered not patriotic. Those people are not patriotic. And Jesus is from that town. And so Jesus comes from there, and that's why they say, can anything good come from Nazareth? And so he is, he is preaching here, and the tax collectors, tax collectors, are drawing near to him. They're just kind of closing in. They're listening to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is preaching a message that we don't see ever in the entire Old Testament. We only see glimpses of the gospel in the Old Testament. And so the tax collectors are drawing near to him. And then the sinners. And that word sinners is kind of a big word, isn't it? Like in religious... In our, in, our, in our religious vocabulary, sinners is like, oh, those bad sinners. Think about the bad people, you know, the people that are in the bars Friday night or doing the bad stuff or uh, the businessmen that are swindling people out of money or all these things. But sinners are really, the word there, sinners, is a word that describes people that are enslaved to cycles of failure in their life, sin. Sin is a human problem. Sin is the condition of the fallen world. Sinners sin. Let me just make a point about that. Don't ever be shocked when someone sins. Why? Because we are fallen creatures. We are broken people. We are people that 
may look like we have it all together, but every one of us here are just a micro nanosecond from just a very bad decision in our life. And it's the grace of God that keeps us on the road. Now, some of us in this room may think, well, I'm not a bad person. I'm not doing what this other guy does. And you could almost even pray like that Pharisee prayed. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. I want to talk about that joy in a minute, about the joy of heaven. But you know something? We are broken people. And as Vanessa said earlier, um, we're really broken. Every morning we wake up, the first thing that should be our prayer is God, not I thank you, God, that I have not sinned today, or not that, God, I thank you that I'm not like so-and-so that I saw on Facebook what they're doing with their life, but we should be like, God, I am lost. I'm lost without you. I mean, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ for decades, as a pastor, I wake up in the morning and say, God, I am no different than Johnny, not Johnny, but like, <laughs> trying to find a, like a name here, a generic name like Freddie over there. Anybody named Freddie here? <laughs> Freddie down the street who was just, you know, blowing it up all night the other night. <clears throat> God, I am Freddie. I am, you know, I am, I'm lost. And God, I cry. Now, I'm not talking about our salvation. I'm just talking about our need for Christ. Our, ne- our need for Christ. I remember when we were at a conference overseas, a uh, pastoral conference. We were a little bit, my wife and I were missionaries in the former Soviet Union, and we were there. And we were, at a, we were at a conference, and we had kind of like a coffee time together. Tony may rem- remember this. Um, we're, we're there in the back. We're around our pasture, and, and, a, and a topic comes up about a, a pastor who had failed. And whenever we hear this, it's just so grievous to hear this, like when a pastor fails. And we're like, you know, people are like, oh, he failed. He blew it. Can't believe that. Can you believe that that happened? And one, a friend of mine said, Pastor, what do you think? Like, what, what do you think about that? Like, and I just remember my pastor saying, you know, sinners sin. No excuse for that. But he just said, sinners sin. Instead of complaining about the darkness, let's light a candle. Very kind of simple statement to that. But I think that, yes, we hold people accountable. Yes, physicians have that that responsibility and that stewardship. But you know something? Let's not forget that we are broken people and that grace is beautiful to us and that we can voluntarily cry out to God and say, Lord, but I don't even know my heart. Uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 11, you know, our heart is unknowable. We think that we've been following Christ for many, many years or maybe you've just been following Christ for two years. I don't know. But there is an aspect of your heart that you're never going to know the depths and the wickedness of it and sometimes we get glimpses. There's two things that God's showing us as believers on a daily basis. How righteous we are in Christ and how crazy wicked we are without him. <laughs> how crazy we could be. I mean, just like, and those glimpses scare us, scare, scare the daylights out of us. And we run to the cross as we sang in that song earlier. I am not what I think I know I am, but I am who he says I am. And so the tax collectors and sinners, people that are, you know, people, there are Christians today that are hearing the wrong message. They're hearing a message about more programs. Do this, improve yourself, work on yourself. And then when you get to this level, like we are up here and you're down here, you're gonna be okay, you're gonna be like us and you can be part of our crowd. Well, tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to him. The Pharisees begin to mutter, remember? If we read here, and Jesus hears them muttering. They're complaining. 
they're complaining about how can this man who is creating a new religious community of followers include the deplorables, the people that are the unloved, the people that are rejected, that the people that are failing constantly Moses' law. How can they, how can this man include them? And so Jesus hears that and he says, we need to hit something here. So Jesus tells us three parables. First parable is about the lost sheep, talking about um, lostness because of just ignorance and lack of understanding. Then he tells the parable about the lost coin, which is lost people that are lost because their value is neglected. Do you know that happens in the church today? Yeah. People, here's what David said, okay? I was in the midst of the assembly and my foot was slipping. People were in church and they're going to church and they're like sitting in the pews or whatever and they're just like, I'm gonna make a bad decision in my life and nobody knows that. Or I am so discouraged in my life, I'm so overwhelmed with my financial situation, my business is going down the tank and I don't know what to do. Or I'm struggling with depression, or I'm struggling with something, and no one knows it. And that's why we need to have discernment. And that's why we need to talk about community in a second here. And so Jesus talks about the lost coin, people that get lost, people that get lost, they just get neglected, they get overlooked, and they walk away. And then the third, the third is the, is the, is the lost son. Lost son, and this is very sad. This is lostness because of rebellion. Just outright rebellion, just like, you know what, I could, I don't care about all that over there. I'm just going to do my own thing because I am so angry. And so look, we look at verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. In the Jewish culture, you couldn't do that. You're not supposed to eat with people that were living uh, in, in sin or breaking the law of Moses. I love it because the Pharisees are actually preaching the gospel. This man eats with sinners, and he receives sinners and eats with them. I love that. Praise the Lord. That's our Jesus. He is receiving people that are kicked out by most religious organizations, and he's seeking them out. And to invite someone to eat with you was like, it was an, enjoy, it was an invitation to join the community. It's like, hey, we're not going to only eat with you, but we want you in our personal space. Okay, we have personal space, right? We have personal space, and this personal space... Jesus had personal space, and he invited people into his personal space. We have personal space, but sometimes we don't want to invite people. Hey, you're in my space on Sunday, but you know what, the rest of the week, I'm just doing my own thing, you're doing your own thing, and we're all okay, right? Personal space, Jesus has been inviting these people in. He was, create, he was creating a community, a body of people. Look, get this, okay? And this is an important point. Jesus is creating He's forming a community of people that were never, ever included in the community of God. When we look at the Old Testament, we're looking at people like the prophets. We're looking at the, we're looking at the warriors like Joshua. We're looking at uh, amazing people that are just doing the will of God, that are doing miracles. We're seeing kings like David. But we're not seeing sinners, and we're not seeing tax collectors under the law of Moses. Every once in a while... The Old Testament pulls back, God in the Old Testament pulls back the curtains and the light of the gospel shines out. Like we see in Rahab, the life of Rahab, like the dysfunctional family of Jacob. What a mess that family was. Have you ever read the life of Jacob? What was going on in that family? That was a crazy family. You think that your family has issues? Read his story. Look at the life of David, the king. 
man, just a murderer, an adulterer. This guy was just a womanizer. This guy was bad news. So Jesus here is, in, is bringing in a community. When we look at, the, when we talk about the church, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but when we get ahead of, when we look at the church, what are we seeing? Are we seeing a community of tax collectors and sinners? We are. We really are. Verse 3, Jesus begins to talk about lost sheep, verses 3 and 4. So he told him this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, <clears throat> if he has lost one of them, and does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country? Open country speaks of danger. Okay? He's risking not only his own life, but he's risking other people's lives. And to go after one that is lost until he finds it. Sheeps are, sheep are really stupid animals. You know, when I was reading a commentary on this, and to, for Jesus to call, when we think of sheep, we're thinking of white, fluffy, lovely animals that are just cute, they're just kind of, kind of bouncing around, really lovely, you know, adorable creatures. But to be called a sheep in the Bible would be very offensive because sheep were dumb. They had no sense of direction, like a dog. They're not like a dog or a cat where if the sheep gets lost, if your dog gets lost, you go out and find it, and he's going to be so happy to see you, he's going to jump all over you, and he's going to follow you home. You're going to be like, okay, go home, or get in the car, and that dog's going to go. Now, sheep don't have any sense of direction. As a matter of fact, when you find lost sheep, um, what will happen is, is that they're, they're not necessarily going to be happy to see you, they're going to be pacing back and forth because they're just so stressed out. They're so stressed out. How do sheep get lost? Well, sheep really are not critical thinkers. It's funny how we are likened to sheep, isn't it? That we are not, and sheep are not critical thinkers. <laughs> Love that graphic there. Think, sheep are not critical thinkers. They're, they're like, they see grass on the top of a cliff. They see the green. They don't know what's going on around them. They're not necessarily looking at it. They're going to just start climbing those rocks, that cliff, to get up there. And when that grass is done, they're stuck. And they don't know how to get down. They don't know what they're doing. And so the, the shepherd has to go up there to risk his life. Sheep are kind of annoying. This is what I'm told by shepherds. They're a bit annoying, you know, because you take your eyes off a sheep. They're like two-year-olds. But my two-year-old's not, not annoying. <laughs> they're, like, they're, like, they're like a bunch of two-year-olds. You look away for a second. I was at the Polish festival late last, last night with my wife downtown. I turned my eyes for a second, literally, to say something to someone. I turn around, my son's gone. And I look, and there's a swing. He's right, right under the swings. Like, he's just standing there. This girl's coming right at him on their swing, you know, like, and he's like, bang, he just goes down. And I'm like, well, how did he get there so quick? You take your eyes off a sheep for a minute, and they're, they're, they're just, we are sheep. And you know something? We are born again. We're saved. But guess what? We are still sheep. And Jesus has to continually chase us down. You may say, well, I'm a believer. I'm, I'm well taught. I've been, I've been saved for X amount of years. And, and uh, I know better. Guess what? Though? Every day we get lost in our mind about things that we worry about. We get lost. We get crazy temptations that come at us. And we forget how to think with God. And so the sheep here... Jesus here is, is creating this amazing community of people that were never part of the community of God. He goes out after the sheep 
We are in a continual need for, to be rescued. And you know what's interesting? When the shepherd finds the sheep, the sheep's not going to just trot after him and go home. The shepherd, in some cases, has to actually disable the animal, tie him up, and put him on his back, or, or physically walk with him all the way back. Isn't that a picture of our salvation? I know this is a simple message this morning, but when we look at our salvation, when Jesus finds us, we're thinking, okay, Jesus, I got it. I'm just going to follow you down the hill. We're all good. No, Jesus is like, no, you can't even do that. I need to hold you, and I need to direct you all the way back to the fold. He has to walk with that animal all the way back. We cannot contribute to our salvation. We cannot contribute to a lot of what God is doing in our life. Our sanctification is such a work of God. We, all we can do is just say yes to it. When you hear the word of God on a Sunday morning or at a house church like we have during the week, we're going to start running tumble very soon and one up in Huntsville. When you hear the word of God, it's like, okay, it's not like, okay, now I got to do this. You know, I got to intentionally do this. We can do that. All we have to do is just agree with God. So yes, I don't know if that's a part of my life right now or if that's what my life looks like, but I'm just saying yes to that right now. And when we do that, we're allowing Jesus to take a hold of us and take us back to, to, um, to the full. Our sanctification is such a work of God. It is such a, it is such, it is such a miracle of God that, that we need Him so much. We are so lost in sin. We can do nothing to fix this. Again, if you're born again here today, you're a sinner. Okay, I don't mean to discourage you here, but we are messed up. We are really messed up. And we need that, we need that engagement of God in our life. We need a Savior. We look at verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 5 with me. The shepherd has to become one of the sheep. When he has found it, I'm sorry, yeah, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. Something I never saw before until this week. Something about communion. This is what's great about the Bible, is you always see stuff you've never seen before. When we look at the Passover, Jesus is with his disciples. What are the two things that we celebrate at communion? What are they? It's the, it's the wine of the new covenant and the bread, right? But there's a third thing, major thing. It's a central thing in the Jewish culture, and that was a lamb. A sheep had to be there. A sheep was going to be, a lamb was going to be sacrificed. It was the celebration of the sacrifice of the lamb. And if you look at the scene of the Passover, here is the lamb of God breaking the bread and giving it to the disciples. Here is the lamb of God in the, the communion cup, the cup of the new covenant to his disciples. When we think of Jesus Christ, he's not just the God that gives us a religious program. He comes down in the form of a man, lives our daily life. He was a small business owner with his dad, and he is living the daily life, and he says, I am the Lamb of God. And Jesus, when he comes to us, he came from a community in heaven. Do you ever think about what he, where he came from? Jesus was not some little God in, in heaven. He was the center. He is the anointed one of, the anointed one of God. He was not some little God that became a big God as we see in Gnosticism. He was the center of attention. He was the center of the Father's joy. He was the center of everything the Holy Spirit would talk about. He is the center of the Trinity. And he comes from this community that was continually rejoicing over him. Can you imagine that? 
being the favorite son of the family. And this is what Jesus is coming from. He's coming from a community in heaven that is so much joyfully rejoicing over him. And he comes into a world that doesn't even know him and doesn't even say thank you. Jesus takes that joy of heaven, that joy of the community of heaven, the joy of the Trinity and all of the angels. And he brings it to the earth and he says, we're going to do that here. We're going to do that here in Jerusalem. We're going to do that here in the woodlands. We're going to do that here in Tajikistan. Jesus comes into the world and he says, I'm here to create a community. You know, Luke 15 talks about three lost things, right? But it also talks about three amazing communities that happens when the grace of God comes. And with the joy that Jesus had, the joy that was rejoiced of the angels and the Trinity that was joying over Christ was not a comparable joy like, hey, you know what, I'm so happy that I'm not like Freddie over here. I'm so glad, you know what, man, he got pulled over by the police. I'm so glad I wasn't speeding that time like I was the other time. It's not a joy that's comparable and it's not a joy that's exclusive. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we have this joy that can actually exclude people. And to say, hey, you know what, I'm so glad that, man, I'm, not, I'm so glad that I'm not you. <laughs> say that? You ever think that in your mind? Like, I'm so glad that I'm not that person. Well, the joy in heaven is not exclusive. The joy is not rejoicing over, hey, you know, so glad I'm not like that person. The joy in heaven is different. This is a joy that is, is a, a, a joy that comes from, in verse 5, rescuing people. Why? Because of the value of a soul. I'm not going to speak much longer. I'm going to wrap it up here. The value of your soul. Late last night, I pulled out an old message by Billy Graham. And I was just thinking, it was this beautiful message about why your soul is so valuable. I want to hit that next week. But your soul is so valuable. This world system, this world system does not value souls. When we talk about the word, the word world, you know, we are not of the world, but we live in it. This is talking about a system, a robotic, automated machination that functions, that rides right over people that has no value for any soul. And that's why we buy the, buy the message of the world. Jesus became a sheep like to be like us and to die for us so that he can be our shepherd. Let's look at verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner. Remember that word, sinner. Someone who is just lost, not even understanding the power that they have over sin through Jesus Christ. Someone who is locked in cyclic forms of, of sin. Joy over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons persons who need no repentance. I think repentance is part of our, day, our part of our life, isn't it? Every day. I'm not talking about repentance for salvation. That's a one-time thing. But every day where we are allowing the Holy Spirit to change our mind about Christ, think of the joy in heaven. What is heaven celebrating today? We celebrate in our culture achievement. We celebrate in our culture people that have done better than other people. We celebrate people over their, their performance. We celebrate our kids over them not being bad, but being good. We celebrate that. But what is heaven celebrating today? Is heaven celebrating that we're great people and that we didn't sin or that we didn't do this thing wrong or that we didn't do what Freddie did over there? Heaven celebrates your soul. 
heaven celebrates you. You're being so, and we don't even realize that. Guys, we don't even realize that. I'm, I tell you, this is one of the greatest mysteries in Christianity, who you are in Christ. Billy Graham said it this way. He said, when we get to heaven, we're going to be blown away about how good God really is. We think we know God is good right now. Yes, God is good all the time. We say it all the time. Don't we say that? But we don't even know that, guys. We don't even know one fraction of 1% how good God is. And when we get to heaven, Billy Graham said this. He goes, and I know some people don't agree with his theology, but I'm just saying this, is that when we get to heaven, we're going to be like, Billy Graham said this, we're going to wonder why we didn't pray more. Like, why don't we even expect more from God? Like, why was I so limited in my sheep knowledge about who God is? God brings us into community, and this is what we're missing, and I'm going to close with this. We are missing this today, guys. We're missing this in Christianity. I was with somebody the other day, and I've said this before, but I was just reminded of it. Do you know that in, the, in, in Montgomery County, the Woodlands specifically, holds one of the records in the United States of teenage, teenage suicide? Can you guys figure that out? I cannot figure that out. I mean, this Woodlands here, we got so many churches. We got so many kids programs. We got thousands of bouncy houses everywhere. We got programs that are going like incredible. But yet somehow teenagers are ending their lives at the age of 17 or 18. Why? Because we don't realize how much God loves us. We don't realize the value of our soul. We don't realize that there's a shepherd that's going to chase us down. And it's not us trying not to get lost. It's discovering God brings us into a community. I want to finish with this. God brings us into a community, and it's a community of three cute, cool things. We call it the body of Christ, this. And I like, what I like to think about is our church at Evergrace. Um, we're not exclusive by no way, no means. But I like to look at our church as a place where we have genuine, authentic communion. We, we have a lot of fun. We just have a good time because Jesus is enough. And we're not under some program that we got to be something. We just, we got to be who God already has made us to be. And as a pastor... Believe me, sometimes the pressure comes like, hey, you got to do that. you got to have this. You know what? We just need to have, we just need to look at Christ, do the best we can to serve the community, but really be in love with Christ. Community has three very interesting things about it. Number one, it's a group of individuals that are bonded into a body through an intense, common experience. Think about that. When you have veterans that come back from overseas, veterans of war, uh, they are so connected with their unit. They are, they are the band of brothers. Uh, women too. They, they, are, they are connected. They have gone through some heavy duty, <laughs> say the women, heavy duty experience. Nobody, you can never explain anybody. People that come back from war, it's like very hard to um, explain what I just went through. And so I'm not going to even really talk about it. But you have these other guys it's a community that's been bonded together. You know, we as the body of Christ go through things and it knits us together by suffering together, that unity that comes together. Number two, it's a community that, that of, of, of people that are not likely to be together. When you look at the personalities in this room, look at Eduardo, I mean, especially Eduardo. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> like, like, I mean, he jokes about his wife all the time. We're going to get him back. It's like, the people in this room, you know, you're not here because of my wonderful personality, I'm sure of that. <laughs> you're here because of Christ. A community, a body of Christ is a, people, a group of people that are put together 
that are not likely going to be together naturally. And actually, when we're together, we're kind of like sometimes looking at each other like, hey man, how did this ever happen that I would be hanging out with this person? And thirdly, this is important, is what I want us to take home on the practical level today, is that it's a group of individuals that are in a safe place. We are in a safe place. Why? Because we've been rescued by a shepherd. And you know something? Today, unfortunately, amongst many religious circles, this is not an environment where it's a safe place to talk about what we're facing. Because guess what happens? Especially in the world of pastors and leaders. I was talking to the city council guy, Mike, yesterday about this. You know something? Pastors are in a place where they are not in a safe environment where they can say, look, I need help. Uh, Can you just pray with me? I'm struggling with this thing in my life. They are afraid that if they would say that, they'd be run out by the board, that the board would kick them out of the church, and that they would be, or their paycheck would be docked, or they'd be set on probation. We are in a community where, guess what? We can sit down and say, look, this is a safe place because Jesus is the shepherd. He is the one that is leading us in our sanctification. He is doing the, fin- he is doing the work, the finished work, and this is a safe place. It's a judgment-free zone. And this is a place where we can talk about things that we can't talk about in the world. James 5, verse 16, we can confess things to one another. We can say things to people. That doesn't mean we need to tell everybody our sin. But if we can sit down and guess what? If we are feasting on grace, and we're feasting on the Lamb, and we're feasting on the fact that He, he welcomes sinners, and that He welcomes tax collectors, and that He welcomes weird people into a community that the world has never, ever seen before, and that's called the church, And if we know that, then we can be in a community where we can say, guess what? I need help. Why? Because religiosity and morality does not permit anyone to be a sinner. Pharisees do not allow you to be a sinner. Because they themselves are the grossest, the grossest violators. And when we are in a community that does not understand the grace of God, within a community that cannot talk about sin, that cannot talk about that we have to hide our own sin. And it's all facade. And, it's, and believe me, this happens in churches, and it, can very ha- it could happen here, where I come into a church, we come to church, and we're pre- preaching a gospel that is a gospel of achievement and performance, and it's not a gospel of it's already been done. Rest in what's been done. Rest in the arms of Jesus Rest in the fact you have no idea what's going on in your life, but God is in control. Rest in that. And when we understand that, then true community can become, it can become really what it's supposed to be. And then people come in and they're like, wow, this is a strange group of people. God is here. And we, we can see the anointing of anointed community. So with that, I just want to close with a word of prayer.